Welcome to the One Haas Podcast. My name is Sean Lee, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ellen Chan. Today, we're joined by So Kim. She's an executive director of food design research at Stanford University. She's also the founder of the Food Inno Institute. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm calling from Palo Alto. It's raining over here. Well, awesome. I'm glad you're enjoying the rainy weather. <laughs> so can you briefly share with us your background and your relationship with Berkeley Haas? Yeah, so I came to Berkeley in 2007 as a doctoral student. I actually started uh, studying at mechanical engineering at the beginning, but I changed to interdisciplinary studies. So I w- was trying to design in my major in between mechanical and Haas. Wow. And I have my co-advisor at Haas. His name is Henry Chesbro, mm-hmm. and he's leading the center called Goward Center for Corporate Innovation. And he's the one who coined the concept of open innovation. And I believe he's teaching uh, moonshot thinking and innovation management at Haas now. So I had uh, three people in my thesis committee, uh, Sarah Beckman, who teaches design thinking at Haas. Um, Henry Chesborough, innovation management. And I also had uh, Alice Agogino at Mechanical, who's also teaching design thinking. Awesome. Should we go a little back in time to talk about your research with Chez Panisse and your involvement there? Yeah, so I actually didn't study food at all before I came to Haas. I was actually in uh, hardware industry. I was working at Cisco as an engineer, and then I worked at Mercedes in Germany as a design engineer. And I was actually studying airline engineering at the beginning of PhD. But all of a sudden, because I dined at Japanese one day, and then I right. completely changed my topic because I fell in love with that restaurant. So it was a very strange moment, but I, I uh, totally enjoyed And then I just had to go back and interview people and that's how I began my research journey from Japanese and also um, studying Alice Waters. Mm-hmm. You were involved with the Edible Schoolyard Project as well, which is how I met you. Yeah, so it wasn't actually, I didn't intend to study Edible Schoolyard. So it was actually pretty interesting why I studied from there because I went to Japanese to interview uh, chefs and Alice. And they actually, at the beginning, they said no. They didn't want to have a researchers or a journalist sitting at their kitchen. They had a pretty negative experience having a lot of journalists before. So no more journalists or writers at their kitchen. So... <laughs> I actually asked for about two years wow. getting a permission to write about their restaurant and they, said, <laughs> they keep saying no. So the only way to be friend with them was actually going to Edible School Yard in Berkeley to do uh, volunteering. So I became regular doing volunteering and, you know, helping kids there, cooking there. So... That's how I became a circle of Japanese. So they noticed me 
I went to all the the book tour of Alice Waters. So she found me <laughs> all the book tours wherever she go. So she said, "Oh, I recognize you finally." And later she said, "Yes, now you can study." So yeah, it, it took about three years to get in. That's you know I, I have to say I really admire your. Your determination there. You know, for most people, they would just be like, "All right, I don't think I could get my foot in the door in any way, right?" But you really went about finding different ways to engage with them, and that creativity is is very entrepreneurial of you. Um, I really admire that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, um, so I was at Stanford before I came to Haas. So I was studying design. And mechanical at Stanford, and my focus was studying creativity.、Mm. And I found chefs are very creative, but they they never been studied as a designer、mm. or a creator.、Mm. Restaurants were studied as a businesses, or they were studied as a culinary institute, but not as a chef as a designer. I framed it chefs as a designer, so I was trying to unpack their、uh, creativity process as a design process. So that was my thesis, and I also found there is a great, great ecosystem around Japanese. A lot of alums became great chefs, farmer, cheesemakers, florist. Purveyors, coffee roasters, so they truly became the birthplace of California cuisine, and behaved as a great learning institute for a lot of people, especially for people in Berkeley. So after this research, you got involved with the Garwood Center at Berkeley. How did that happen? I actually was at Garwood studying airline industry with Andrew Chesbro. And he initially didn't like my idea of studying restaurant as a PhD topic. He was very concerned if I can get a job in academia or even going to industry. He was very concerned. Are you gonna get a job in restaurant or what? But、um, I really wanted to study、uh, restaurant and chefs. So I said, you know. I will do PhD only once in my life. I really want to choose these topics. And Berkeley and Japanese—they're really, really unique to me. I really want to study, so I just went on. Apart from all the research work, you also started the Food Inno Institute. How did that happen, and what exactly does it do? My PhD、uh, research was studying actually history、mm-hmm. and trajectory of. California cuisine for last fifty years, and when I was graduating, I thought this is a great time to study the future of food、right. and future of food innovation. And it was actually great timing. I didn't know that that will happen, but that's when a lot of food startups were coming up in the area. Good example was Impossible Food、mm. out of Stanford Medicine. So then. Venture capitals they 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 saw this will be a great example that food startups can be a unicorn and also that has a good impact on academia. So、um, at Stanford at design division where I work now, they created new program on food design and food innovation. Wow, 
And I moved on here and I am leading the research program. And also I am hosting international symposium called Furino mm. every year. Can you share a little bit about what, what exactly is food innovation? So for Alice's time, uh, back in 60s and 70s, what I learned was the there was no farmer's market, no organic mm. farming. So even chefs, they had to go to a superstore like Walmart to buy packages, wow. vegetables, uh, all frozen meats. So there was no organic or farm-to-table movement was not around. Mm. So to me, food innovation is to look at three areas. One, future of food. Second, future of kitchen. And third, future of restaurant. So that's, that's what we are studying right now. And we'll see very different kind of food in the future, very different kind of um, kitchen appliances, and also new concept of restaurants in the future. So that's what I'm studying in terms of food innovation. That, that sounds insane because that sounds like a cross-disciplinary of so many things, right? From agriculture to mechanical engineering to probably software design for kitchens. And then you have interior design, space design. That's, how do you manage all that? So, yeah, so I'm very fortunate um, working at design division at Stanford. Here, design means pretty broad. It started as a product design, but now we have uh, people who are working in car design, health, medical, biomedical design, space design, design thinking framework, and I'm leading food design. So it has like various topics of design. And although it's a part of mechanical engineering, it's very mm. interdisciplinary. So like even in my group, we have a student from medicine, students from MBA, uh, student from computer science, mechanical. So it's very diverse. So you started Food Inno a couple of years ago with the hackathon in Barcelona. And it's scaled very nicely over the last couple of years. What is your vision going forward? And what are you looking to achieve with this? We're doing more the seminars and speaker series now. And who is the target audience for these symposiums? Um, the, uh, we invite chefs, food academics, students, large companies, and also startups. We also invite NASA. NASA has been a really great inspiration for food innovation, uh, interestingly. Um, so they've been actually working on the project called Food in Space. So they were working on 3D printed food, also the air protein, like kind of creating a protein out of air. So they have a lot of technologies they developed like 30, 40 years ago, and we're trying to commercialize now. And so they have been great, great inspirations for food innovators. That's amazing. You know, with what we're going through with COVID-19, I'm curious, 
if you see or foresee any shifts in food innovation, meaning are there any shifts in focus on, what should we call this, uh, not post-apocalyptic, but uh, emergency time foods and, and times for cuisine during this period? Yes. So it's very interesting time. Food has been essential business, although they're losing a lot right. of people. So I have my heart broken there. So one thing I noticed was that they're looking for like contactless delivery, contactless communication between customers and food makers and restaurants. So that's something that is coming up. And also the use of ghost kitchen. Do you guys know ghost kitchen? No. What is that? So ghost kitchen is a new concept of restaurant. So they don't have a front end, but they only have a back end. And and they just connect through deliveries. Right. So Oh, that's what Travis, the Uber founder, was is working on. Correct. Right? So some people call it as a cloud kitchen right. or ghost kitchen. So funny enough, I was just brainstorming with some uh, buddies yesterday on some of the implications for food supply uh, and, and restaurants right? In, in, this, in this period. And one of the things that was brought up was this idea that's similar to ghost kitchen, but it's much more popular in India where home cookers, they cook and prep meals and then there's like an app where you can order from different, uh, I guess, families. Do you see anything like the U.S. trending in that direction? Yes. So California is the very first state that they approved the new bill. They call it as a home kitchen. I have to look at exact uh, the name of the bill. Every home. Once they get approved by the county and get a permit to sell their food, they can actually sell up to 50000 per year. Wow. So that would be the extra income for the families who are very skillful in their home cuisine. So particularly, I heard uh, it would be great for a lot of ethnic food, mm -hmm. food makers. So... They can use their home kitchen to turn it into the revenue. So to that point, another question has popped up in my head, which is around food packaging, right? That's been a pretty hot topic, especially out of Berkeley with sustainability. What are some new developments in that area? Yes. So the packaging has been a big issue. They're looking for a lot of interesting source of packaging, mm -hmm. for example, now people are using seaweed to see if they can make sustainable packaging, which can be easily dissolved mm. within 90 days. Wow. And some people are looking for like a banana leaves. Yeah. So they're looking for the, the biogradable alternative packaging. I think the good example will be the Boba guys, who is also mm -hmm. Haas alumni. So... The, especially boba, the straw is essential. So he showed the whole collection of the straws he was prototyping. So yeah, so it was very interesting. So the he was one of the very first people who committed to a sustainable straw. So it's very important now 
especially Generation Z, they care so much about sustainability. Mm-hmm. And sustainability is becoming a new premium in their lifestyle. Right. That's what we found. So it's not about financial value, but they see it as a lifestyle value. Right. So it's very, very important in food industry now. That's really key. Thank you so much for that. You know, to wrap that part up, if students want to get involved uh, or follow up with you, what's the best way to reach your team? So I love Ha students. I I still talk to them and we still keep in touch and I still work with them. And so please contact me at, through my email, mm-hmm. sokim at stanford.edu or sokim at gmail.com. So I'll be available, happy to chat. That's great. Thank you. Ellen's got some quick fun round questions for you to wrap this interview up. So Ellen. So first question, what are you doing to keep yourself sane during this quarantine? So the first week of shelter in place, I completely lost a sense of day and time. (laughs) (laughs) And this brought me a Corona blue. So what am I what I'm I trying to do is to wake up at the same time right. and go to sleep at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I definitely try to go out for a walk in my neighborhood at least once a day. Yeah. That's a good note. And second question, what content are you consuming right now? Could be a book, a show or a movie. So I haven't watched Netflix much before, mm-hmm. but now I had to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> so I finished Chef's Table, Black Meter, and right. some K-dramas. And okay. I also signed up for the online Jumba class. So oh. when I was living in Berkeley, I had my favorite teacher. Mm. Right. Since I moved to Palo Alto, I couldn't attend her class, yeah. but always missed her class. So I found she's now offering free online classes through Zoom. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I signed up and I saw like nearly 150 people are taking now. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. Next up we have, what is your best productivity hack? I'm a person who can get so easily distracted by texting Mm -hmm. and surfing online. So I used a focus method called Pomodoro. Mm -hmm. So I bought a Pomodoro timer so I tried to focus for five minutes and extend it to 10 minutes and 20 minutes. And then I, it's easier to get focused. Hmm. And yeah, so and then I started um, just streaming Zoom, working with my mm-hmm. colleagues now. So as if we are just working at the same office. Right. So we don't talk to each other. We muted our audio, but just like seeing each other working together. I've been having to do that actually at least three times a week, classmates. So that's <laughs> that's like the best advice actually, <laughs> just to more social proof. And the last quick question is, what is your favorite thing about Haas or Berkeley that you remember? I really like the community. Mm especially just going around the Bank of America forum, I get to see a lot of people. I still go to Bank of America forum. Sometimes I go to our seminars at Haas. I still see some familiar faces. So 
yeah, I have a great memory just chatting, a lot of friends and students there. So that's a great, great place to just work and having coffee over there. That's awesome. Well, thank you so. It's been great. And I do miss seeing your face at Berkeley. But thank you so much for coming on to our show today. Thanks for the invite. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the One Haas Alumni Podcast. If you enjoy our show, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player and give us a rating or review. If you'd like to hear more about current student perspectives, check out our sister podcast here at Haas, or you can subscribe to our monthly podcast newsletter on onehaas.org. That's spelled O-N-E-H-A-A-S dot O-R-G. Until next time, go Bears.